0: Let's pray together as you are seated. Lord, we thank you for your great, amazing, rich, immeasurable love. Undeserved, unearned, uh, but given just the same. And we pray, I pray that we would glorify you for that love and that we would see it in your word this morning and see it in our lives as well that she would be glorified, praised, and honored. Lord, tune our hearts to hear and sing your grace, we pray in your name, amen. Good morning. My name is Craig, I'm the pastor of adult disciple making here at Bethel. It's my pleasure to start a new sermon series. We are launching into the book of Jonah this week. And today and the following four weeks, we'll be looking through and working our way through the book of Jonah. If you need a Bible, we have some that we'd love to give to you, and our ushers are going to come at this time and distribute those. And if you use one of those Bibles, you want to use one of the Bibles, just raise your hand up, and that'll be on page 795. You can also find that in the YouVersion app, where we have the sermon outline as well, and encourage you to turn in your own Bibles. In this series, I love the title that one pastor gave it, Can You Run From God? And in the book of Jonah, we're gonna kinda see that as you saw uh, Jonah displayed in our kids' video. And many of you have heard that story before. And I love how he titled that. Uh, Chapters one and two, are you running from God's will? Chapters three and four, are you running from God's love? So we'll be looking at that. And today we're just gonna look at the first three verses and kinda get uh, a bird's eye picture of the whole of the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is very short. In that Pew Bible that you have, it's only on two pages. It's only 48 verses. Uh, I read it a couple weeks ago through just to see how long it would take to read. It takes five minutes, five minutes or less. Or even on a Bible app, you could listen to it. So I'd encourage you to do that this week just to get the big picture of what the book says. Uh, But I first think we need to start, after we read the first three verses, with who is Jonah. But let me read the first three verses. It starts out, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah... Son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord." It's important here to get a little context as we look into this. Who, first of all, who is Jonah? Well, we really don't know a whole lot about Jonah. Apart from the book of Jonah and one other verse where he's mentioned in 2 Kings, there's nothing else said about Jonah in the whole of the Old Testament. Jonah was a prophet, and if you look at your Old Testament and you look at the table of contents, the books from Isaiah to Malachi are the books of the prophets, prophetic books. And there's major prophets, that just means they're bigger books, they're longer, like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And there's minor prophets, just means the books are shorter. And Jonah is one of those minor prophets. And Jonah ministered around 780 BC. And at that time, Israel was two nations. They are divided after Solomon, a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom, Judah. And Jonah was part of the northern kingdom. He was from Nazareth, or a place near Nazareth it's also important to understand, what, what is a prophet? You can see a little bit at the start of the chapter, of chapter one, how he was called. A prophet often has a compelling call and the power of God works in them that, that they can't resist. And commentators have defined it or pa- pastors have defined prophecy as, as two different things. Prophets first foretell, F-O-R-E, tell. So they tell about the future. And we often think of prophecy as things about the end times or things that happened after the prophet was speaking. So they they foretell. But prophets often also foretell, F-O-R-T-H, tell. tell. So they're telling God's word to people, the word that they've already heard, calling people to turn or return to God. So in, in that way, they're often like a preacher, although there's no uh, comparison at this time to what a prophet was in that way it's, it's like someone who's preaching and that's what Jonah was called to do and we don't see any foretelling in Jonah but we see a lot of forthtelling. Jonah speaking God's word and God speaking his word to Jonah and Jonah the book of Jonah is really an autobiography of just part of Jonah's life it's really just a snippet of his life. It's, it's maybe a few months, maybe a year at the most of his entire life is written in this book. And I was, I was thinking about that, and I asked you this, this question too. If you only had one year of your life that you would want written down and saved for thousands of years later that anybody who reads the Bible could see, would this be the time period that you would want to be remembered? I don't think so. I wouldn't want that time period to be remembered, but that's what's here. And so the question is, as you read through and as you work through this the next five weeks, why? Why this part of Jonah's life? Why is this what we remember about him? What is God trying to teach us through this part of Jonah's life? Because even in the first three verses, he's put in a bad light, isn't he? And throughout the whole book, from beginning to end, Jonah doesn't look very good. So, as you read through the book and as we study it over the next five weeks, ask yourself these questions What was Jonah's intention in writing these facts, these words, these events down? What did God want us to learn from Jonah? So, secondly, how does Jonah respond to God in these verses? Verse two, it says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come up before me. What does Jonah do? We saw it. He went the exact opposite direction. And if you think about the area, uh, the Mediterranean Sea is like a long oval. And on the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea is Israel. East of that is Nineveh and Assyria. So that's where God called him to go. And Jonah went straight west. We think Tarshish is in Spain, which is on the exact opposite end, the western end of the Mediterranean Sea. So he headed as far as he possibly could by boat at that time that was known to get away from God. And the passage also says it. It says, Jonah rose from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship. He paid the fare, he went down into the ship and he went to Tarshish. Often in the Old Testament, when someone's going down, going down to Egypt, going down someplace else, that's a bad thing. That's an indicator that uh, there should be music in the background that's very foreboding because you're making a bad decision and that's what Jonah was doing. In fact, no other Old Testament prophet in all of the Old Testament who was one of God's prophets rebelled against God. Other prophets tried to get out of their job or their calling by giving excuses But no other prophet rebelled, no other prophet ran away from God. So the bigger question is, why did Jonah run? We don't see a partial answer until chapter four, verse two. Chapter four, verse two, he says, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. But that doesn't really give us a reason, does it? He, he knew God was compassionate, so why did he run? Well, I think because he didn't want to see God's blessing taken away from his people. Israel was God's chosen nation. Out of all the nations in the whole earth at that time, God had chosen them. And Jonah didn't want to see that blessing taken away from Israel, which he probably saw was a rebellion against God and given to another nation who they hated, who was an evil nation. The Ninevites didn't follow God. They didn't believe in God. They didn't deserve God's mercy according to Jonah. In fact, listen to this. This is how Nahum describes the city of Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder, no end to the prey. The crack of the whip, rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, Horsemen charging, flashing sword, glittering spear, hosts slain, heaps of corpses, corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. I'm going to put that on my Airbnb list. I need to find a place to stay in Nineveh. It sounds great, doesn't it? This is not a good place. I think a modern parallel that came to my mind or somebody mentioned think about yourself in the 1940s as a Jewish person, say, living in New York. God calls you to go to Berlin or Munich, Germany during World War II and preach to the Nazis to repent. That's a modern-day comparison to what Jonah was thinking and the calling that he was experiencing here. But that's, I think that's just part of it. That shows maybe an outward decision what he's thinking in his mind. But what's going on in Jonah's heart? Jonah's thinking about himself. Jonah's thinking about what he wants and not what God wants. And I think part of the question that comes to us through the book of Jonah is, am I letting self rule my life instead of God? Am I making decisions as to what I want or to what God wants? Am I saying, as we hear in our culture today, I know better than God does, I'm gonna be defined by my own passions My own desires and passions are gonna rule over me. I'm gonna be ruled by self. God's not the boss of me. I'm the boss of me. But brothers and sisters, one person said, we're not passion bearers. We shouldn't be seeking our passion, our best life now. We're image bearers, not passion bearers. God doesn't call me to be Craig-like. He calls me to be Christ-like. Calls me to be like Him. Not the best version of me, but the best version of Him. And that often means carrying a cross. And that's part of what Jonah was being called to do, to carry this cross to obey and follow God. Just think about the sermon series we finished last week. We went through the nine fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But before 22 and 23 were verses 19 through 21. And in the New Living Translation, it says this, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. And then Paul goes on to list a whole host of things, uh, sexual immorality, idolatry, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. And he says other things like these. And then he says, let me tell you again, as I said before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So I think the question we need to ask ourselves, and I asked it right at the start, is Christian, are you running from God? Follower of Christ, are you running from God, like Jonah, in some way, shape, or form? Do your actions, does your life show that you're running from God? Does it show me that I'm running from God? I love this quote that I read this last week, put it in your sermon outline, it's gonna be up on the screen as well. When you run away from the Lord, You never get to where you're going and you always pay your own fare. On the other hand, when you go the Lord's way, you always get to where you're going and He pays the fare. Let me read that again. When you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you're going and you always pay the fare. On the other hand, when you go the Lord's way, you always get to where you're going and He pays the fare. In the person of Jesus Christ. Jonah had a short-sighted view of what God was doing, and that's often the case for us as well. I'm thinking me now, just what's ahead of me. Uh, I have blinders on the side. I I can't see the big picture. I I don't understand that God's doing 10,000 things in every one thing that he's doing, and I might just see one or two or three of those things. But God's doing so much more than we can ever imagine, even in the difficult things. Think about it this way. God didn't ask another prophet to take over when Jonah ran. Wouldn't that have been simpler? Jonah ran, let's just get another guy. Get another prophet. God didn't do that. God wanted to use Jonah, but he also wanted to teach Jonah. And the things God calls us to do, he's teaching us just as much as he's using us, maybe even more. So in this book, Jonah's laying himself bare to point His people and all people to God. From the opening book, verse of the book to the closing verse, closing verse, Jonah points us to God, the God who speaks to us through His word. As you read through the book, you're going to get to the end, and you're going to see, well, what's the resolution? We hear God speak, and, and Jonah never responds. How did Jonah respond? Well I believe the book is Jonah's response? Because again if if this was my life and this happened to me and I was unrepentant I wouldn't want this shared at all but I've understood that God was teaching me something and if my stupidity and pain and sorrow could be a lesson for other people then I'd want to share that and so I think that's what Jonah has done here. Jonah is like Job. At the end of the book of Job when Job was questioning God, God said listen to me and Jonah said, I'm going to talk, stop talking. I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I'm not going to say another word because God knows. And then Job said this, Job 42, I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The book of Jonah is Jonah's testimony to his humility and God's greatness. God can do whatever he wants to do, and who am I to say that he can't? Jonah was humble enough to allow the worst part of his life to be on display for all the world to know, and Jonah saw that his people and all of us have something to learn from these events. So as we look at the big picture of Jonah, what are some of the things that God is trying to teach us? There's a lot, I just want to highlight three of them. First of all, I think the book of Jonah teaches us that God is sovereign Lord. Or as Pastor Gary gave me a great term this week, God is boss. God's in charge. He's the head honcho, the big cheese, the top dog, A number one. God is in charge. He is sovereign. That's what sovereignty means. And let me give you three words to think about when we think about the word sovereign or that God's boss. And we'll look at each of them. First of all, God has authority. Secondly, God is in control and thirdly, God's presence is with us always. First of all, God's authority. Jonah ran in, in, to try to take charge. He tried to exert his own authority and show that God didn't have ultimate authority, but obviously he failed. The Bible is pretty clear that God does have all authority. God told Moses, I am who I am. I have existed forever as Creator and Lord. We see in Daniel chapter 7. That uh, someone called the Son of Man appears before the Ancient of Days. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus says at Matthew 28 and 18, God had given him all authority in heaven and on earth. So because God has full authority, he deserves full obedience from us. Jesus says it this way, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? He says again, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jonah didn't obey, he ran, he ran from God. Jonah ran from obedience to God's word. But if you look at the book, God has the first word in the book of Jonah, and God has the last word. So where are you at? Where am I at? Are are, are you running from God? Are you running from obedience to him and his word, what he's calling you to do? Part of what makes God boss is that he has all authority. Secondly, he has all control. Jonah hopped into a boat, he went in the opposite direction to try to assert his control over the situation, and obviously that didn't work. We know from the story that God controls creation. The wind and the seas obey him. He brought up the storm. As soon as Jonah plopped into the sea, the storm stopped. God controls the fishies in the deep blue sea. In fact, did you see the news story a couple months ago in June? A headline in the Cape Cod Times read, I was completely inside. Lobster diver swallowed by humpback whale off Provincetown, which is off of Cape Cod. This gentleman, Michael Packard, other people saw it, He was swallowed whole. He was completely inside a humpback whale. And after a few minutes, the humpback came up to the the top of the sea, top of the ocean, shook his head, and spit him out. So it happens. It's not just a far-fetched kid story. God, God does this, and his animals in the sea do that. God not only controls creation, he controls the nations. God said to Moses when the people were in Egypt, I am who I am. Say to this people of Israel, I am as sent me to you. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand, strike Egypt with all all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. God had control over Egypt and Pharaoh. God had control over Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar one day was standing on his balcony in his palace and he was boasting to himself, I'm the greatest man in the world, I'm, I'm like God. And immediately God struck him, made him like an animal. His, his hair grew like feathers, his, his fingernails like claws. And he wandered around in the wilderness like a blathering idiot until he came to his senses and acknowledged God as Lord. And he said this in Daniel 4, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High God. I praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures for all generations. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or or say to him, what have you done? God has control over everything. He has control over salvation. He's mighty to save, he showed that. Jonah was running, and we'll see next week in chapter one, Jonah was running, disobeying God, and the sailors and the captain of the ship were saved. Jonah was angry at God in chapter three, but the Ninevites and the leaders of the city were saved. God has control over salvation. He's mighty to bring believers to repentance through his discipline as he showed it to Jonah through swallowing him by a fish. So God has authority and control and and thirdly, God's boss, and he exhibits that by his presence. He's with us, he's for us, he uses us. It says twice in in, uh, verse 3, that Jonah was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Was he successful? No, obviously not. David says it this way, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? And he goes on to cite different places and and the obvious answer is, is nowhere. Christian, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, big fish, Big C, nothing. I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God will be with believers as our sovereign Lord, as our boss always, as Jesus says, even to the end of the age. So reflect on your life. How is God showing you in your life, past weeks, past months, past year, that that he's boss? That he's doing good even when it doesn't look like it? That even though there's a frowning providence behind it, he he hides his smiling face? Think about that as you uh, work through Jonah, as we work through this study in the next four weeks. Next, the book of Jonah teaches us that God is God of worldwide grace and mercy and love who desires to save all people. The book of Jonah amazes me of God's mercy and his grace and the person that he used, the unwilling person he used. We see as we've already seen the ship's captain and sailors repent, as you'll see next week. We see the leaders in chapter three of the pagan nation and the people repent and believe, but we don't see Jonah Repent, at least not fully. And part of the truth of this book is pagans can be more spiritually sensitive than Israelites. Those who know nothing of God but who are spiritually humble are the ones in this book who come to trust God. Those who are spiritually proud are the quickest to forget their own need of God's mercy and compassion and therefore the slowest to have mercy and compassion on others. And that's why I think this book is primarily written to Christians. Have we been inoculated by God's grace so we think we're, we're, we're better than everyone else because we've gotten the vaccine, we've bought our fire insurance so we don't need to worry about it anymore, we've got our flood insurance so we can just live however we want, and God is saying no. He's pleased when people repent, when anyone repents. 1 Timothy 2 says God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Peter says the Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise as Some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Imagine yourself reading this book in uh, the 800 B.C.s, hearing this story because you probably wouldn't have it in written form, you'd hear it, And as the story starts and you're an Israelite, you're tracking white with Jonah. When Jonah runs, you would say as an Israelite, I'm right there with you, Jonah. And so throughout the whole book, you're following Jonah, you're tracking with Jonah, and then you realize at the end of the book, the one you've most identified with in the story is the one man who is dead wrong. And that's what God is trying to teach his people then, that's what he's trying to teach his people now. The gospel's not against people, it's four people. And God cares for his wayward children. The book's entitled Jonah, but Jonah really isn't the main character. God is. Jonah is only central to the story in that he shows Israel how God deals with his wayward children. I encourage you, when you, when you go home, read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. In that passage, it talks about God's love for his children like a father's love for his children, whom he disciplines. And it says there in verses 5 and 6, Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. The Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. If God doesn't love you, he's not going to discipline you. He's going to draw you to himself. And so sometimes our suffering is a wake-up call for us to say, what's God doing in me? What sequoia do I need to take out of my own eye before I look for the speck in my brother or my sister's eye? And lastly, I think most importantly as we go through this, this book, Jonah points us to Jesus. Jesus says this himself in Matthew 12, verses 38 through 41. The only other reference in the Bible to the person or book of Jonah. It says in Matthew 12, 38, Some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jonah's time in the fish is pointing forward to Jesus' death and burial before he's resurrected. Then he goes on to say, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. See, Jonah was a prophet, but Jesus was the greatest and the final prophet of all. Jonah didn't follow God willingly, but Jesus did the will of the Father completely. Jonah was used to bring God's grace, but Jesus is the very source of all grace. Jonah figuratively came back from the dead, but Jesus literally rose from the dead. And so Jonah, by Jesus' own witness, points us to Christ. And it points us to think about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and whether he is the boss of your life and my life or not. And so the, the one thing is really easy. Four words, you can memorize it pretty quickly. Don't run from Jesus. It's not just a moral story, don't be like Jonah. But God is calling you. God is speaking to every person who's hearing this message. And saying, don't run from me. Don't run from my son. I love you. And I want to do you good with all my heart and with all my soul. Respond to me in repentance and faith. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful short book here. A book and a story many of us might be familiar with, but Lord, you have new things to teach us because there's always new truth to be discovered in your word that we've never noticed before. So teach us over the next four weeks in our own personal lives as we hear uh, the book preached to us, Father, work in our hearts and our minds. Help us to not run from you. Help us to trust your mercy and your grace, uh, no matter what happens, that you are good, that you are God, that you are sovereign. You have authority, control, and you will be with us always, even to the end of the age. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.